Welcome to the Shift Control Podcast. My name is Paul McAnallen and thanks for joining me. This is um, a bit of a solo podcast today. Um, it's been the middle of the summer. It's pretty hard to tie down people who are distracted by holidays, uh, children off school and all that sort of stuff. So um, this is the week of the 12th up in the north here. So things are very quiet. Um, good news is that I've got four podcasts lined up from starting from the, the last week in July. Um, won't give you too much more detail now other than to say they're fairly uh, interesting business people across a broad spectrum of business activities, um, marketing, entrepreneurship uh, at its core and one that I'm really really interested in and intrigued um, in terms of the value that it can offer on a personal and professional level, and that's on mindfulness. So I'm really excited about that, but more on that later. This podcast this morning is, um, I've been thinking a lot about this recently, and I've been working with a few clients. One in particular, um, we had a conversation about um, the language that you use to, to sort of for self-description through marketing activities. So what you'd say on your website, um, what you'd say on advertising, what you'd say in social media content to try and um, get people to understand who you are, why you stand out and why people should buy from you. And I'm often uh, reminded of um, a client I worked with a few years ago who had told me that as I, uh, as I was about to work with the sales team, the, or the sales team, uh, it was described to me that the sales team were, were, were fantastic. And the word fantastic has had stood out for me and I, I, I kind of, challenged the wisdom of calling the sales team fantastic on the basis that I was a business improvement consultant and it was very difficult to improve on fantastic, so on and so forth. And I kind of brought a conversation to a place that we either of us didn't want to go to, but it was a real learning curve for both of us. Um, that language, um, the use of superlatives, is uh, this exaggerated descriptions of, of um, fantastic service or an excellent night out or a, an amazing meal or what a wonderful car. And, um, all this sort of stuff really uh, detracts from where the proper value is in anything. Um, I would describe it as the old keeping up with the Joneses um, routine, you know, um, and I think that many corporations, businesses and brands have survived, thrived and died through their ability or inability to create desire, um, spending more time using um, thesaurus language using different words to describe the same thing, I think. So the dictionary definition of, of uh, you know, keeping up with the Joneses is fairly damning in itself. Um, and this Wikipedia, which is obviously not the font of knowledge, but it certainly is a good enough starting point, uh, depending on how you view it. Um, they describe the failure to keep up with the Joneses is, is perceived as demonstrating socioeconomic or cultural inferiority. So the whole idea that uh, capitalist society is predicated on, on keeping up with the Joneses and brands um, really, really, you know, thrive on you wanting to keep up with the Joneses because um, it just means that everything becomes uh, a race to the top or, or a race to the bottom. Uh, your neighbour buy, buys one, you buy two, and so it goes. Um, but I think the language of um, the, some of the language used in websites it's, you know, we do this and we are this and we are that. We offer this service. We do it. You know, we've been working with these clients. We do X, Y, and Z. And um, it really, again, is uh, disrespectful to the user. I think it's disrespectful to the customer who comes along to find, no, well, never mind you. What are you going to do about me? What are you going to do for me? And I think the real challenge is to get that language right. 
there's a, an organization called Superbrand that every year surveys two and a half thousand customers across um, sixteen hundred brands to determine the Superbrand of the year. So in two thousand sixteen, Superbrand of the Year award went to British Airways, and over the last number of years, that number one slot has been variously occupied by Google, Apple, Microsoft, so on and so forth. And Superbrand use a number of scoring criteria to determine who gets the number one slot. So for example, um, for you to qualify um, your ticket to entry, you have to, 30% um, of your revenues must come from outside uh, your brand's home region. So that would disqualify a lot of uh, brands that trade only on the island of Ireland. Um, brand must have a presence in at least three major continents, as well as a broad geographic coverage in emerging markets. Must be sufficiently public, uh, publicly available data on the brand's financial performance. Uh, economic profit must be expected to be positive over the long term, delivering a return above the brand's operating and financing costs. Um, and the brand must have a pro public profile and awareness above and beyond its own marketplace in its totality. So that's why organizations like Coke and VW and McDonald's and Google and Microsoft and Facebook can challenge for those positions. But you know, within, within those scoring criteria um, or KPIs, like they're pretty um, that's not how consumers respond to brands. In my head, a, a, a super brand or a top 10 brand is a brand that just uh, satisfies the needs of, of consumers consistently in the right way, the right place, the right time, and are able to do it again and again and again and again. Um, and customers don't really try and score brands based on their revenue in three different continents you know it's all about the more tactile stuff and all that language when you're when you're buying a brand when you're when you're going into a supermarket when you're looking for a car when it really does come to the pinch when you're going to a restaurant based on a referral you don't remember the this food was amazing you know that you know i've never had an amazing meal anywhere you know, I have there's no scoring criteria. I'm not a food critic. I don't walk in, but I know what good service looks like. I have a fair idea what good service looks like. Um, I have a fair idea what good food should taste like. I have a fair idea what price uh, I should pay. I have a fair idea what ambience, um, uh, the sentiment of enjoyment is like. So I make my own scoring system. And most customers and consumers will make their own scoring system. You know, there's a few things that um, most successful brands need to be at. Um, customers then work it out for themselves fairly quickly, I think. Um, you know, there are certain things that, uh, things like being likable, you know, um, maybe put that in reverse and say, good starting point for any brand is to not be disliked, either from a corporate perspective or a personal perspective. So. Some of the places you go into in Belfast that purport to be five star, either as hotels, as restaurants, and whatever else, offer a one star service. You get, are you getting? What are you looking? What can I get for you? Do you want a wee coffee? All that shite, all that stuff that's really, really just doesn't take a, a much effort to train somebody into working a little bit harder for, if you want to pay £5.50 for a Grey Goose lime and soda, you know. I'd like to be, I'd like to think you're going to treat me like that's what it's worth. Not what it costs, but that's what it's worth. And so on and so forth. So the brand being likable is one thing. So any touch point that you would have with, the, with, with your customers, it's important to reflect 
uh, what's in your brand DNA. You know, if you're going to charge a high premium for something, then the the service and the 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 level of customer service that's associated with that typically needs to be very high and consistent and uh, extraordinary in some cases. Corporate behaviour um, has just as much of an impact on likability in my mind. So I think way back in the days when I was um, a student, there was this intense dislike for Barclays Bank amongst students um, because Barclays didn't do anything to disguise their South African business interests. And then I think um, bands like Queen, people like that played Sun City and they were pilloried for doing the same thing. And it's amazing how a little bit of uh, knowledge makes you uh, it's very dangerous because most of the other banks had interests in South uh, Africa. They just didn't tell people as readily as, as Barclays Bank. So you could argue that Barclays Bank were being more transparent, um, but it, it, it impacted their, their sales among students and um, many to cash point on the Linthorpe Road in Middlesbrough was glued together by a certain wee Welsh fellow who will remain nameless. He's probably a politician now, um, the little militant uh, boy Um but that's, I digress. So Starbucks and Amazon and Facebook, all these guys who are uh, enjoying the benefits of tax evasion or avoidance or whatever it is, um, are probably going to have to at some point take a balance uh, when people start to disengage from those brands because of it. Whilst it's not a massive issue from them now, it certainly will be a massive issue at some point. Um, governments need to be aware of it. But that's, um, that's um, a question of ethics. And that's a question of ethics that impacts likability. This is not about how you trade in your different countries or your different markets. This is real-time marketing, real-time brand impact. You know, if um, a Google, Facebook and Amazon, all these guys that are dominating the the world at the minute, um, Four Horsemen, which I think is Apple, Amazon, Google and Facebook, um, they dominate. They completely kill. But if you take a look at their business models, if you take a look at the the money they take out of the market and the value they put back in, it's so questionable, it's untrue. Um, the power base in media has shifted from the traditional media who who had uh, who abdicated their responsibilities probably as much as Facebook are abdicating theirs currently. But it's an entirely, it's a, it's a seismic shift from one power base to another. Um, with great power comes great responsibility and great tax avoidance also. Um, most of my seminars, I'd be very keen and very quick to talk about Starbucks as a really good example of their customer service, only because they're massive. Um, they've got somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 120,000 employees globally, but they all typically behave the same way. So if you go into a Starbucks in Belfast, if you go into a Starbucks in San Francisco, New York, um, London, um, I think they've actually got Starbucks in Italy now. If you go to any country where there's a Starbucks, you typically get treated the same way and they try and upsell you something. Um, so that's brand consistency and that creates a likability. Yet this is hard to balance with Starbucks because they also not only they avoid paying their taxes, but they have a serious issue with treatment of casual labour. So those people are part-time staff and the benefits attached to that. So you've got to balance that up. When you take a look at Nike um, for the misuse of sweatshops, Apple, for uh, all their great design and functionality, some of their products are made in uh, really, really uh, shocking conditions in in countries like Thailand and whatever. And then um, some of those FMCG or food products, for example, um, that are the country of origin happens to be Israel. And if you're a little bit of a pro-Palestinian like myself, then there's this uh, tendency to avoid those products. So um, maybe that 
it should be all part of the super brand scoring system. Maybe it is, I don't know. But I certainly know as a customer, um, when it comes to parting with cash, hard-earned cash um, at a point of sale or online or in a car showroom, all that stuff is really important and it's becoming more and more important. Um, corporately and um, individually as the people decide to treat you like a customer or not, as the case may be. And we all have examples of that. And that's why I think this idea that people use this um, exaggerated language to talk about great, fantastic service and, and amazing fish and chips and all that sort of stuff, it's really uh, benchmarked against nothing. And it has no currency at all. The, um, it has absolutely no currency at all. And we should probably be more careful about the language you use to describe ourselves as brands. Um, dependability is a massive one. Um, when customers are put under great pressure from the proliferation of choice, typically they either ignore or revert to form. So they'll ignore the new option uh, or they'll just do nothing. Um, so dependability is massively important for brands, irrespective of business to business, business to consumer. Um, dependability might mean different things for different customers, but when it comes to retaining customers and growing value, then dependability is massively important. Um, again, I wonder how well that is scored when it comes to the likes of the bigger brands. But one thing you have to say about the likes of Google and especially Amazon, their dependability is incredible. If you buy something um, on Amazon, uh, they deliver, literally, you know? It's like you're buying in the shop. And uh, that sets a benchmark, benchmark really, really high. Um, so that's one thing that, that they, they can stand over for sure. Um, authenticity is really important. Um, so. Think of the Irish bars that you stumble into or stumble out of in different countries across the globe. Your American diners in Belfast that are really so un-American it's untrue. Or French restaurants who try really hard to, to mimic, and, mimic and imitate but fail miserably. Um, so all those white-collar businesses like your solicitor practices and your accountancy practices, you try and mimic the big players by creating these websites that reflect stock images and... Um, really, really sterile, fake business conditions only to pretend they're something when they're really not that. Um, authentic is just so important, it's untrue. Um, and again, it's one of those things that as customers, we tend to um, we tend to value a lot when, we, when it comes to make, making a decision. Trustworthy, being trustworthy is, 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 we all think that's, well, that's a standard, but all brands aren't trustworthy. You know, when you talk about, um, you know, what was five years ago, you were considered a conspiracy theorist. Today, you're probably considered an astute thinker. Um, but all those people who've been shouting about um, Monsanto, who've been talking about the biopharma organizations, um, who've been talking about the banks, that those, those the financial institutions tend to speak for themselves, certainly um, in, in, uh, in corporate finance. Um Trust is that important, um, but it's also measured on an individual scale, um, but with relatively common characteristics. So your capability as a brand, or you, uh, you know, your capability, your intent, your competence, your character, your results. And I think more than ever before, because of the change in media, the media landscape, where there's a real focus on social media, brands are, are dropping their guard because they're under scrutiny 24 hours a day by millions of people not just the brand objectors, but those curios, the people who are curious about brands, who are curious about uh, customer behavior. Um, 
brands are under such serious scrutiny, they're dropping their guard flat out um, and they're being found out, which I think is great, but um, how long uh, has this behaviour been going on? Certainly the Monsanto, the food thing, you take a look at the um, rise and the popularity of a vegetarianism and you take a look at some of the marketing activities from uh, beef farmers and the dairy farmers, um, all of their marketing activities look as if they're founded on official statistics from health uh, bodies when actually all they're saying is um, the milk marketing board, the clues in the title, it's the milk marketing board telling you it's good to drink milk. Coca-Cola don't tell you it's bad to drink Coca-Cola. It's also great to drive a Volkswagen because they're very reliable. That's what they tell you. So you've got the dairy farmers and the beef farmers telling you that eating meat and uh, drinking milk and eating dairy products is all really good for you. Um, and that counterculture to that is the, uh, the vegetarian or the um, people who suggest that it's not so good who are probably look, looked upon as the weirdos and the, the outsiders. Um, but they're trying to be as trustworthy and authentic as they can too. So who's telling the truth? So we're now starting to ask more questions about brands and it's important that brands make help us make the right decisions by veracity, um, by authenticity um, and by telling the truth. Um, consistency is deadly important too. Many brands die through an inability to consistently deliver and stuff. I've lost clients through an inability um, to deliver consistently um, and I lose clients again. Um, and I win clients because I'm actually able to be consistent in certain areas. And it's only whenever you're really honest with yourself that you can truly determine, um, you know, where your value is and where you need to be consistent. Um, customers are starting to place greater significance on that. And um, ultimately, decision making is easier for them if they can go into a shop or go into a shopping mall or go online and they know the brands that have never let them down. So they just go back. And because, as I said before, there's so much choice. Um, the confusion it creates, they don't have the time to be, make considered opinions on a coffee, on what kind of shirts, um, what kind of shoes. They just uh, are certainly, regardless of whether they're cash rich, they're certainly time poor. And that's um, when they're online, when you're in shops or wherever, you go to the brands that have never let you down or have let you down the least. Um, so being consistent is very important. And then there's that whole thing about value, you know. Um, Again, I think it's really, really hard to determine value. I think it's really, really important that you're able to, to articulate your value um, because ultimately that's what gets the attention of the customers or clients or consumers. Because if you have no value to me, I'm not going to buy that. So um, if your value is different to all these other guys, um, are you able to articulate that? And it goes back to this language that people use. People don't truly articulate Brands don't truly articulate their value. They talk about, we're great, we do this, we're better than this, look at the people we've done this for, we're fantastic. Um, it used to be uh, slightly vulgar, but it used to be back in the day when building websites, people would say your website was piss um, because there's we, we, we everywhere. We do this, we do that, we do the other. Um, so the focus is really to move away from using language that's not really relevant, it's not true, it's not authentic, it doesn't do anything to support your brand case and to move towards language that your customers use. And you can only really use the language that your customers use if you truly understand your customers. And all of a sudden, this whole thing about branding then starts becoming a little bit complex. So for those startups that are just um, coming through and they've got a really great idea, um, 
and they're, they're the only ones that know this great idea. It's an amazing piece of technology. It's life-saving, it's time-changing, it's a game-changer, it's all of that sort of stuff, but they're not fully capable of articulating why I should buy it. Um, and that's a fundamental flaw for some of the startups. And then there's those organizations that are, are beyond startup and then they're into growth or uh, growth phase or the maturity phase, and they um, have forgotten what it's like to think about uh, their customers because they're too busy counting their money or they're too busy trying to deliver on strategy. And it's important to sit back and think, what does a customer see when they see their brands? So, yeah, I think I think language is, is really, really, um, really important. I think an, an honesty in language is really important. So um, I have never come across a brand that a, is perfect. Um, I don't think that's a prerequisite for a good super brand is that you've got to be perfect because... I don't think perfection exists uh, in that context. The closest I've seen to a brand that truly delivers um, would be the Happy Pair, um, the uh, cafe down in Greystones, which is a um, kind of taken the Irish publishing world uh, by storm uh, in the cookery or the cooking categories. Um, I was very fortunate to go down to meet the two guys, Stephen and David Flynn, about two months ago, and down at a seminar uh, they held at their cafe. And since then, I've been down the road two or three times to buy some products. And that's a long drive from Belfast to Greystones to pick up maybe £100 worth of, of uh, food products. Um, but that's the strength of their brand. They dominate any media stream they're in. They own it completely. The, their brand is quirky. Their behavior matches and reflects their brand. You want to check out some of their Snapchat material. It's... It's just so effervescent, it's annoying almost. They're, they're on their game from about 4 o'clock in the morning to about 8 o'clock at night and they're continually publicising the fun that they have with food. They're not publicising themselves, they're publicising the fun they have. They're authentic. You can tell the value because if you eat some of their products, the food is just amazing. Their books are so, so uh, interesting for the uninitiated people like myself who, who would struggle to cook beans. The books are brilliant. They're really simple. They're really um, uh, visual. They've got a YouTube channel as well. They're part of Jamie Oliver's network. They're consistent. You know, they've been doing this for 12 years. This is not a brand uh, success, overnight success story. They have worked at this for such a long time. Um, are they trustworthy? Well, you know, their food does exactly what it says in the tin, by and large. Um, they live the lifestyle. They are uh, fully fledged, I think, vegans, um, have been for 12 years, and they're up in the morning swimming, they're feeding their children with healthy plant-based food, um, so it, it looks very authentic to me. Um, are they dependable? Yeah, they do exactly what they say, um, and that's corporately and as people, they, they do exactly what they say. They've got a, a, a really, really engaged um operation in Greystones. I think they've got maybe 100 people working for them all in. They make their own food, they grind their own coffee, they source their own products, um, and they serve it with this real zest for life that is not replicated anywhere. I've never seen it anywhere else. Um, and, you know, if you look at super brands, who's to say these guys will not be trading globally because um, they certainly have a great appeal in, in the Irish market. Their two books have been the best sellers and the best sellers list. It doesn't take much to be a best seller, but they've done that. Um, they've got a YouTube channel um, that's got 
thousands of followers. They've been on TV programs. They're used in commercials at the minute. They're very, very soon, I'm confident of it, they're very, very sure that they're going to break into the American market because it's right up middle America's street. Um, their personality, I'm not so sure the vegetarian uh, movement is right up uh, middle America's street. It's probably more geared for the liberal West and the liberal East. But even so, they're big numbers. And if you crack there, who's to say um, they can't crack the whole country? Um, because the change, change is definitely coming when, it, when, when we talk about food and uh, nutrition and health, health, healthy living and, and well-being. And they're just off the right time as well. So that's just a bit of a rant, I guess. But it's just something that I think people need to consider. No matter what size of business you are, um, no matter what sector you operate in, um, what language are you using to describe yourselves? What language are your customers using when they talk about you? Are they talking about you? You know, if you're doing a customer satisfaction survey, like, well, just really go and knock yourself out with that one. Customer satisfaction is like, satisfy is like, was your meal satisfactory? Yeah, it was, it was okay. So how are you engaging with your customers before, during, after, and beyond your engagement? You know, have you asked what kind of language they prefer to hear? Probably not. Most likely, definitely not. Um, you employ a copywriter, or at best you employ a copywriter. Um, at, sorry, at best you employ a really good copywriter. At worst you employ a really bad one, or you keep your writing in-house, and then you pump out your editorial content for your website, and bang, there you have it. A really, really magnolia-coloured version of who you think you are. So it's really important to get the language right. Um, so yeah, that's that's just about 26 minutes of a rant from me. Thanks very much for listening this far. Um, if you want any more of my stuff, I'm available on shift-control.co.uk. Um, Twitter is shift-control66. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, the world's favourite database of the most honest CVs ever written. And I'm uh, on Facebook too. Um, I'll be back later on uh, in the month with uh, podcasts with guests i'm really looking forward to that uh, um, as i mentioned before just very briefly and um, one of the key focuses i think i'm um, probably next week i'm going to be speaking to um, a mindfulness coach who has a little bit more to him than just been a mindfulness coach but uh, i'm going to talk about the impacts of mindfulness and getting balance at work and at home uh, in your head and trying to um, focus which is something that has been a struggle for me. So yeah, thanks for, for, for listening to this point and I will talk to you again very soon. Just as an end finally, um, there's a big game of GAA this weekend. Um, so if you're listening to this before um, Sunday the 17th, um, the big game is Tyrone against Donegal in the Ulster final, uh, the Ulster football final. And there's a bit of excitement been built about it because, well, as a Tron man, it's the first time we've been back in the finals since 2010. Donegal have been in the last six finals, I think. The last five, this will be their sixth final, maybe, in a row. Um, so Tyrone are on the resurgence um, following the under-21 All-Ireland victory last year, and Donegal have been the kind of top dog, or uh, certainly one of the top four teams on the island for this last while. So it's a going to be a serious battle on Sunday so um, 
Yeah, red hands by three. So if you're listening to that, if you're listening to this before Sunday, I say red hands by three, and um, if that's not the result on Monday, I might just edit this little bit out. So take it easy, and talk to you soon.